I love what Brittany was just singing there at the end. Um, Lord, you're good. Um, and that's enough. And um, years ago, someone challenged me. They said, you know, every Christian has to decide um, and has to come to the place when they decide that God is good, period. Not everyone gets there. Um, and today we're going to kick off a series in the book of James, and he'll even speak to that here early on. But just, I want to say that to all of us in the room, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus and your walk with Christ, and, and maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't know Jesus, a friend just invited me to church, and I'm interested in him. We want to share more about that and who he is and what he's done for you. And, but for those in the room that know Christ, you have to come to a point to where you say, God is good, period. Um, not but, not if, not because, not he is. That is his nature. It's like saying God is love, period. Right? But, but what about all the bad things in the world? God is love, period. Man is evil. <laughs> Woman is evil. Children are evil. <laughs> I have five. They sin. I love them. But they're wicked. They're selfish. They're mean. They fight. They steal toys. So are you. Outside of Jesus Christ, we are all wicked. We are evil. There is no good. There is, outside of Jesus Christ redeeming our lives, there is no hope. There's no future. But with Jesus, there is eternity. There is everlasting life. Not just everlasting. Everlasting life. Let's remember that. That's why it's good news. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. It's incredible. It's amazing. It is transformative. It is what allows us to look at a holy God by way of knowing Jesus Christ, his son, and to say, God, you are good, and I don't understand everything. There are mysteries I don't know. There'll be mysteries still that I am not, I don't know the details of, I'm not privy to, and those mysteries will exist even until my last breath here on earth. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay. But I encourage you to go on that journey to decide, hey, God's good. I don't care what happens. And in the testimony of Job's life, you look at him, if you're ever having a down week, hey, someone else had it worse. His name's not Job, it's Job. All right? Just read that. If you're like feeling really low, hey, you know what? It could be worse, man. It could. Job's life is like, thank you, God, for Job. Because he helps us have a sober reality to the darkness and the brokenness. And yet in the end, still was proven faithful. Oh, man, he had it bad. And he still in the end could say, God, good. Well, this morning, <clears throat> we're going to jump into a series here on the book of James, and we're going to kick that off today, and we're going to continue that up until April 2nd, and then April 9th is Easter Sunday, all right? So we're going to take this series all the way through, so <clears throat> you can get excited about that or not. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> we're still going to do it. 
So if you're wanting the like other series, I don't know, we don't have that one. This is what we're doing. Um, but um, before I jump into it, Billy mentioned about our corporate fast. And so for those of you that, are, that were not here the last two Sundays, we talked about it. Um, I'm not going to reshare all of that. We would love for you to go back and listen to last week's message. We have a little short video thing that's been sent out. So if you're like, I don't know what this is about, ask if someone was here last week. They can maybe fill you in. But the bottom line is this. We want to take two weeks and just, you know, most of the Antioch churches around America, which is 45 plus, most of the Antioch overseas teams, which there's 85 plus of them all over the world, are actually taking time to fast and pray during this month and even right now. Some have already started. Some are doing two weeks, one week, three weeks, four weeks. Doesn't really matter. But all over the world, People who are saying we're part of this Antioch movement are saying, hey, we're going to fast and pray because we need breakthrough in the realm of unity. So that's the word of the Lord for us as Antioch churches this year is unity. We get that from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Everybody say, unity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit, that's what we're doing in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, well, we'll pause there. I've just started to just keep going because I just want to read Ephesians 4. It's actually a really good chapter. But <clears throat> we're going for a unity of the Spirit. Unity with God, unity with one another, and unity with the larger body of Christ. That is the goal. So we're going to contend for that. We're going to believe for that, and these next two weeks, we are inviting you and the whole church, that's kids and all, to be part of this corporate fast. And so what we're inviting people into specifically is to consider their mind, their body, and their soul. So Lord, what do you want me to do during this fast in regards to my mind? We're encouraging many people, if not all, to take a break from media. It may be all forms of media. It may be social media. It may be streaming. It may be YouTube shows. It may be that subscribing you always do, whatever it is. But to take a break from that and just see what God does when he's allowed to fill that space and when other humans you're sitting next to in your house are allowed to fill that space instead of a digital world filling that space. I guarantee you it will only benefit you. You may feel withdrawal for 48 hours, but then you'll realize, oh my gosh, reality is better than virtual reality. Right? It's like, wow, what a thought, you know? It's gonna be good for you, okay? And so my encouragement is, especially for our college students in the room, to consider it. Now, if you're someone that's like, oh, you know, I like to be dared, I dare you. I dare you to do it. We're like, he didn't, oh, he dared me. Now it's on, right? So I dare you to do it. I think a lot of you can't do it. There you go. Yeah, I get some of you. Yeah. You can't do it, right? So if you guys are in the room, it's like, I just need a coach to get my face. Like, I'm that coach right now. You can't do it. You're too weak. You can't do it. The other ones are like, I need encouragement. Hey, you can do it. It's going to be awesome. You're going to do a great job. God is good. You have friends around you. Get a good book. 
Okay, I've got five kids. Some of them need the in your face. Some of them just need, hey, we got this, you know? So when you throw the interception, it's like, what are you doing? And then someone else is like, well, get the next one. <laughs> right? There you go. You can all, those are my pastor tips. So there you go. We want to invite you into it, okay? So literally take a break. It's going to be good for you. Our family's doing it. It's going to be great for us. Yes, we have kids. So it's, no, we're not doing devices. No, we're not doing shows. No, we're not streaming Dude Perfect. No, we're not watching that. We're not watching this. And how can you survive in this digital world? You can do it. It's really possible. And then you can like tell your friends, oh my gosh, I found this new thing. It's called reading books <laughs> and talking to friends and calling mom and dad. And I have all this space. It's like, what do I do? And it's like God and people, right? Unity with God, unity with people in the body of Christ. Like find other Christians that are in the city, don't go to this church, say, hey, can we sit and have coffee? I just want to encourage you. We're on this fast and we're being called to unity with the body of Christ. You don't go to our church, but you're part of the body of Christ. How can I encourage you? How can I learn from you? Well, wouldn't that be a thought, right? All of a sudden, now we're meeting with other Christians all over the city, encouraging them, believing them. I don't want them to come in the ark. I want them to be plugged in where they are. I want you to encourage them. Hey, go deeper there. Make disciples there. Be bold there. How can you serve there, right? We're going to actively engage in those things with our mind, our body, fasting from food, from, from coffee or drinks or whatever it may be. I encourage you to make a change in what you're eating. Like, change something. You can't expect something different if you don't change. <laughs> you know, so do it and just see what God does. Some of you need to go fruits and vegetables. Some need to go just water and juice fast for a week or two. Some of you are like, we're going to cut out sweets. We're going to cut out McDonald's or KFC or Chipotle or Starbucks. Starbucks for no two weeks. Or I'm not going to go to that other cool coffee shop. No, young people are like, I don't go to Starbucks. You know, I go to other places. You know, <laughs> like whatever it is, remove things from your life for a season so that you are creating more space for God to speak in your life. Yeah. We're not all doing the same thing. That's not what the goal is. But our encouragement is to you ask God, talk about as a family, talk about as roommates and friends, people in your life group say, hey, what are we doing? And do it together. It's gonna be an amazing time. All right, here we go. James 1. Now let me just give a little bit of background here on James before we jump into it. Um, so... Uh, for me personally, this, I, I, I love this book. And I remember being back in college and um, uh, I worked at a summer camp one summer. And I don't know why I had this thought, but I had never memorized chapters of the Bible before. And so I said to myself, you know, I'm going to take some time this summer. I'm going to try to memorize James, you know, and um, I will be honest. I didn't get to all five chapters. I memorized three. So I was very proud of myself. But I remember sitting down by this river at this camp. I'd get out there in the morning. I had my coffee, sit out there. No one sat out there and have a little chair. And I would just read it. And then I would just kind of recite it over the river and just say it to God and just say it. And something that summer came alive in me by memorizing and reciting the scripture like daily. And it was probably, you know, five, six days a week I was memorizing this, doing the things too. But I was, this was part of my time in the morning. And just it did something. It deepened things in me. They were not there by just reading it once. So my encouragement to you is even during this series, consider reading through the book of James several times. You got several months. Do it and get it deep into you. Now, who was James, right? James, the author of this, he was the brother of Jesus, meaning he was the son, from what we know, of Mary and Joseph, right? And so Jesus Christ was born, the Virgin Mary, and then later on, James was a son. So he grew up with Jesus. We don't have really many details at all about their early family life, but we know he was the brother of Jesus, which means he had to have known him 
pretty well. And here, um, we also know that as, as James grew older, um, he became really the head of the church in Jerusalem. We see that in the book of Acts. So he was a leader. He was someone that was looked to, respected, and authority. And James, this book is actually written to Jewish Christians who had been dispersed, okay? And many, many scholars would say this book is written around 42 to 45 AD. So again, we're about 10 to 15 years after Christ was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and then ascended to heaven. We're about 10 to 15 years after that is when James was written. And, you know, um, James is also this book that many would, would say, you know, when you read the Proverbs, it's got a bunch of good one-liners. You know, it's just, man, it's like, oh, that was rich. I could just stay there, you know? And they don't all seem to go together sometimes. And, you know, James is kind of noted as like the Proverbs of the New Testament. There's a bunch of one-liners. And as we go through it, you'll kind of see, and you'll be like, you know, I've always heard that phrase. I had no idea where that came from. And it's like, hey, the book of James, all right? So it's a rich book. It's very straightforward. There are metaphors, um, and there's interesting components to it, but we're gonna, we're gonna jump into it. And one other thing I wanna share with you is this, is that, um, you know, James is also very, very practical, right? So, um, you know, sometimes when you read the Psalms or Song of Solomon or the Proverbs, you read Isaiah or Jeremiah, and you're like, what is he talking about, you know? But James is like pretty straightforward. Like you don't have to kind of, well, let me restate it seven different ways so you understand. It just kind of is what it is, right? Now, the, the question, now the challenge for us and going through a book like this together is, are we gonna actually like take it straight on? I mean, that's the challenge with James. It's not like, I mean, there are some like confusing head scratching components in anything we have to dig into that, but for the most part, it's more so like, you know, it's kind of like that old slogan for Nike, just do it. It's kind of like, eh, you can't or can't. I mean, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a lot of room for gray, maybe is what I would say, when you read the book of James. So let's just jump into it. I'm gonna go and read these first 11 verses, then we'll kind of go back and look at some, of, some things in here, all right? James chapter one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of of his pursuits. All right, so let's go through a couple of pieces here, right? So first of all, he is writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, okay? The Greek word there for dispersion is scattering, all right? So what it refers to is the scattering of 
the Jews, of the people. And when James is writing this, you have to remember that after the stoning of Stephen that happens in the book of Acts, there was a great persecution that arose in different parts of that world, including Jerusalem. There was a great backlash against Christians or people that were called followers of Jesus or followers of the way. And, the, and, and, and with Stephen being martyred, now there's a backlash on from religious zealots coming against them. And so all of a sudden, people got scared and they started dispersing. They literally started leaving Jerusalem to other towns and villages, and so they spread. And partly, that's how the gospel spread, is that through the persecution and through the suffering, people then went, and then they started over, little house churches and group meetings, different places, whether it be in Eastern Europe or in parts of Asia or North Africa. And so James is writing to a scattered people throughout the world, and um, and, you know, of course, the Jews had been scattered before, right? They had been scattered around. Once God brought them out of Egypt, then they went to the land of Canaan. They conquered that. That became the promised land, the place for them. But then we know that they had a, cap, um, a couple of really bad spells where they turned away from God. And then all of a sudden, the judgment of God came against them. And that started dividing them up and dispersing them even more, right? So centuries before Jesus was born... Um, there was 12 tribes of Israel, right? And um, these tribes then lived together in somewhat harmony, unity, underneath King David, his rule, right? The man who wrote a lot of the Psalms. And then his son, Solomon, King Solomon. But then after Solomon died, that's then when, the, when, that, when, those, um, when, when the tribes kind of divided up. And so you had 10 and 2, right? So it seemed a little lopsided. You had the southern kingdom, which is now called Judah, and you had the northern kingdom, which is now called Israel. Southern kingdom was, uh, was made up of Judah and Benjamin. And the northern kingdom was made up of the other 10 tribes. So now they were at each other and at odds, right? And so in the midst of all of their brokenness and the division, um, um, what then happened is that the Assyrian Empire came in and they captured and brought the people into exile in 722 B.C., Right? And about 150 some odd years later, the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, they were then conquered by the Babylonians. They then whisked them off. And that's where we know about Daniel and the lion's den and all of that. Right, So what we know is that these people were dispersed. And so then you fast forward five, 600 years later, Jesus comes in the scene. He lives his life. The gospel's here. He dies. He's, um, he's then resurrected back to life. He sends to the Father, he tells the disciples, now you go make disciples, you go now spread the word, here we go. And now 12, 13, 14 years later after that, James is now writing to people who are now scattered all over the place, even as recently as the stoning of Stephen, that's who he is writing to. So he's writing to people that are not actually unified. He's writing to people that are actually kind of disjointed and now living their own lives, but still trying to follow Jesus in their own way. And yet he's telling them throughout this passage and a reminder for us again. Like we just, we just did our series, you know, over Christmas. And what we're committed to as a church is always at Christmas time, we're trying to celebrate not just the birth of Christ, but the coming of Christ, right? Not just his first coming, but the second coming, right? We want to remind ourselves Christ has come once. And that is the gospel to tell people Christ has come, but also coupled with that is, and he's coming again. And so people need to know that. They need to know about his first coming and his second coming. And even in Hebrews 9, 28, as we even can maybe relate to them and say, hey, we're in that waiting game too. 
Like people are in this waiting game for all things to be made right. In Hebrews 9, 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I want us to be in that camp of, hey, we're eagerly waiting for him. Right? We are, we, we are keeping our lamps lit. Right? We are ready. Like We are waiting for him. And I think that's, that's what allows us to not live in an anxious way, but to live in a ready way. We're ready. We don't let our guards down. We don't get lethargic. We don't just kind of take a, take a backseat or just all of a sudden get uh, to where Christians can oftentimes get actually apathetic, right, about things in our world or what's happening. Like, oh, it's all going to burn anyways. Or I mean, you know that. Like, that's, that's kind of the thought sometimes. Well, I'm just not going to mess with it. It's just what it is. Like, well, hold on. We were called to be salt and light. And Jesus is like, I know it's going to be broken. By the way, they hated me. They're going to hate you too. So get used to it. There's evil, there's sin, but I came to bring life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came to give life, abundant life, to the full. I know what he's up to, and I'm telling you what I'm up to. And if you're on my team, if you're on Team Jesus, this is how we roll. How we roll is we bring light, we bring love, we bring forgiveness, we bring truth, we bring humility. And even though it may cost us, even though it may cost our lives, like literally, it's worth it. Because I decided a long time ago, God is good. And if he's good, then I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do what he says, even if I don't fully understand it. So I want you guys to know, as we get into James, you may not understand everything. I don't understand everything. Just because I'm up here preaching doesn't mean I'm like, like the expert. I'm just like you. I got the same Holy Spirit you got. There's not a different Holy Spirit, right? You didn't get B-team Holy Spirit. Now I got A-team. Now I made the B-team, middle school, lots of things, okay? But we all got the A-team Holy Spirit, same one. One faith, one baptism, one spirit, one Jesus, right? So we're all in that, which now means, now you get the Holy Spirit, guess what? Now we are accountable to that Holy Spirit. Not just me, but you too. And he's not just leading me and guiding me into all truth. And John, as it says, he's leading us. He's leading you. He's not just convicting me of sin. He's convicting you. This is why I love the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't, I don't know where I'd be without him. <laughs> but man, he has saved my life so many times. Like literally reminding me of things, convicting me. Oh, you know, temptation comes. Oh, Right, like he has helped me and the Holy Spirit is here to help us, but we are a people that are eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. So if you keep that in mind, Jesus coming back one day, it helps us to stay engaged in the present. That's what I'm trying to say. So let's continue on in verses two through four. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Another word for that is endurance in different translations. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now listen, James is encouraging us to remember that the Christian life is really centered around trusting God rather than trusting self. Like that's a major point is to trust God in his way, in his leading, in his commands, then trust ourselves on our own tuitions, our own emotions, our own perspective. 
He gave us a mind, you know, like we're supposed to exercise it and use it, but it has to be in submission to him. I mean, guys, I had all sorts of crazy ideas when I was 13 and 17 and seven. I thought this would be a good idea, you know, like, hey, let's take these firecrackers and put them all together and tape them and make a little mini bomb, you know, and I mean, you know, not a good idea. Hey, let's take our shirts off at 4th of July with Roman candles and shoot each other from seven feet away. Cool. Oh my gosh, with this burn, this scar. That was not a good idea. That was kind of dumb. But at the time, it felt smart and cool. What's my point? This is always good. This is always trustworthy. I don't trust all of our opinions and thoughts about everything. What I trust is this. So that's what I want us to trust. And if you're saying I'm following Jesus Christ, then you're saying he is trustworthy and true. And there may be things in here I don't like. And why do we not like it? Because it comes against our pride. You know, it's humbling. It's convicting. Oh, but man, but this is where we've got a feast. So during this fast, I'm asking you to not just not eat things. I'm asking you to eat this. <laughs> I've shared this before. I think when I was in, um, when I was in, I don't know, gosh, I guess it was fourth grade, fifth or fourth grade at our Sunday school. There's this kid, and I think our Sunday school teacher is actually teaching about this in another passage, and I think Joshua 1, where he talks about, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. <laughs> and this kid, like, ripped out, he was, he was interesting, but he ripped out a couple of pages of the Bible started eating them. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's wrong or not, but he's literal. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to come out later, but wow. And you know, I was like, what are you doing? It says eat. Or so, I was like, well, I don't think he really meant eat it, you know, <laughs> but hey, there we go. So, but he was literal about it. Okay. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think that my encouragement to us is, man, um, Allow the Bible to shape your thoughts, right? Just that's what I'm trying to say. Like you can trust it, can trust it. And he is trustworthy and proven true. So here he says, count it all joys. Um, you know, I heard this phrase, um, outlook determines outcome, right? It's the whole glass is half full, half empty. We know the illustration. But like your outlook determines your outcome. Just think about it in your life. I can or I can't. Man, it's pretty powerful. Our words are pretty powerful. Psychologically, how we do that. I can run this one mile. I can't run this one mile. We've been there. I've been there. You know, I'm like, I ain't gonna do that. You know, I can run this marathon. I can't run this marathon. Well, what's holding you back from actually doing that? Well, a lot of times it's right here. This is, this is the blockage. This is the, so am I going to count it all joy or just be angry and bitter? Because suffering's coming. It's coming. Disease happens. Sickness is real. Death is real. Trials are real. So it, but we're being admonished to say, hey, well, what are you going to do with them? And if you can see beyond it, what you can see is what it's going to produce. Oh, it's going to produce endurance. It's going to produce steadfastness. It's going to produce good things in us. 
You know, I read this book a couple years ago called Grit. You might have read it. It was a popular book for a little while. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I was kind of thinking about that with steadfastness and endurance and the author. She writes a bunch of different stories and examples of people who have grit and kind of helps, helps define it. Um, she says, um, grit is about sustained, consistent effort toward a goal, even when we struggle, falter, or temporarily fail. She also brings up that grit is coupled with resilience, meaning it's our ability to bounce back after we have struggled, faltered, or failed. Another way to say it is grit is the engine that moves us towards our goal. Resilience is the oil that keeps the engine moving. Grit is the engine that moves us towards our goal. Resilience is the oil that keeps the engine moving. So when I think about it in this context, in this passage, there is something that James is admonishing us for to say, hey, I need you guys to get a little grit, church. Like, I need you to like, I need you to understand that it is, it is as much as a mind game as is a physical game. That if you will count it, if you will perceive it as an opportunity for growth and to work through it, then you can come out the other side of it stronger and more enduring. And, um, you know, listen, all of us have seen different shows or heard stories, right? We love the stories of the, like, the heroic survival, right? I know some of you guys, you watch, I don't know, there's a show out there called Life Below Zero, or there's a show called Alone, or you may have watched Bear Grylls or Survivor Man or whatever else is out there, you know? Uh, I think they had, whatever, that reality TV show for years, Survivor. It's like, why, why are people into that? It's like, wow, they're in a difficult environment, and they're making the best of it, and I want to see them overcome, you know? And so we look at that, and we're like, man, what, how do they, how can they handle sub-zero temperatures? I mean, how can they handle just eating larvae, you know? You know, what, I mean, to swim across the channel. I mean, whatever those things are that we're like, that's humanly impossible. Like, how is that possible? And I think in many ways, James is writing to us and saying, hey, um, Christians, guess what? It's possible to have joy and to consider it and what it's gonna produce in you if you will let it have its full effect. But if you quit on it, if you short circuit it, you're not gonna experience that. You're not gonna gain that endurance. Therefore, we know for any marathon runners in the room, I'm a half marathon runner previous. <laughs> I did two. It's more than one. That's right. Thank you, Billy. Look at that right there. Prove my point. It's like I ran a whole marathon with the two together spaced over two years. Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. Glasses half full. <clears throat> no, I've never run the full. Some of you have, and I applaud you for that. I am not going to do that. I know my limitations, but I will cheer you on. But whenever you do run a long distance, everybody hits a wall of some sort, and you get to that point where you're like, you know, you're like, I got this. I got this. You're like, I don't got this. You know, you're like, I can do it. I can do it. Then you see the hill and you're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, you know, if you're committed, you're like, I don't want to walk. You know, I remember Ashley ran it once. We ran it together. And I'm going to, uh, she shared this before, but I'm not dishonoring her. But, um, and for her to run a half marathon is amazing. Yes. And, um, but, you know, we're doing it. And I remember her telling me, she's like, my only goal as I don't get picked up by the cart. Because, <laughs> you know, they got to clear the streets at some point. You run through town, it's like, hey, lady, we've got to get traffic going. It's like, and she did not get picked up by the cart, praise God. She did it. 
we made it. Others did, you know, we didn't judge them, but it's like, whew, escape the cart, you know, and, um, but here's the deal. You've got to mentally prepare yourself and push through and see at the end, it's so rewarding because what if you quit during that time? It's like, you're not going to, like if I, I wanted to quit a few times, so but I'm not going to get that moment back. Like I want to push through and God's made my body to be able to do it. We can, we can do it. And oftentimes we are more capable of going through things than we think we are. Do you hear me? Like we, God actually made us. He actually believes in us more than we do. Just like a father believes in his children more than they believe in themselves. I know they are capable of more in education and sports and kindness and whatever else, making their bed. Like I know you can make it better. I know that. It's a question of, are you going to put the effort in? Or are you going to overcome the temptations, the trials, or the testing? Paul writes in Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love is important to our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Oh, that is so good. We know that passage, many of us do, but I just want to show you the correlation that there's something to be said that we're being admonished. Peter also says in a different way, by <clears throat> these fathers of the church a couple thousand years ago who went through immense suffering, persecution, pain, feeling abandoned, and yet they are encouraging us today to say, guys, you can do it. Like, it's possible, but we have to have the mindset and the heart of joy. He continues on in verse five through eight. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I told you James is not, he's not like a great counselor. <clears throat> double-minded. It's like, you know, you want your money back? And it's like, I didn't know you were going to speak to me like that. He's just, he's just straight up. You know, James is the guy that's like, hey, it's straight talk. And listen, if you were the half-brother of Jesus, I mean, you had to live with perfection. I mean, think about it. James is like, he never does anything wrong. You know, I'm the one over here getting the spankings. I'm the one having to clean up the extra chores. But Jesus is just always responds graciously, you know? I mean, you got to know something. I, we know the backstory. I'm like... This guy was clear, and guess what? He came full circle to saying, wow, Jesus really is Messiah. He was the son of God. He's worth everything. If you know the story, answer James, he was killed, <laughs> martyred. About 15 or so years later after he wrote this. Um, and he's willing to give his life for it. And some people write historians that some of the writings in that time would say that um, as people were killing him and beating him, that he was praying for them out loud. In a similar way that Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. I mean, you cannot have that kind of measure in you unless you've already settled that. And he's not writing this as, hey, you guys count as joy as suffering. I'm not going to, but you guys do it. No, no, he's living it out. And he's saying it is possible to do it. It's like David and Goliath. Someone had to know it's possible to take down a giant. 
But the whole army of Israel thought it was impossible. No way, Jose, this ain't happening. There is no way we're taking down Goliath and these Philistines. They are brutal. We've been taunted. We've been mocked. There is no hope. But David's like, get out of my way. Give me a couple of smooth stones. I've been slinging rocks at wolves for years, trying to take our sheep. I've been slinging rocks at lions and bears. I'm not afraid. He's just another bear that's coming for the sheep. I'll kill him. I'll take care of him. I mean, how could the, how could the teenager have that? But all the grown men were scared to death. What was it? He wasn't stronger than them. He's kind of a weak kid. Even Samuel almost glazed him over. His dad glazed him. Ah, this is our young one. This is our runt. What does that tell you? God is looking for someone to say, hey, I know my God. He is trustworthy and true. I will not give in to fear. Bring it on. Here's what I want to say to us. Trials will come. Testing will come. And yet we are being encouraged to not doubt, but to have faith. To have faith in God that he will pull us through. You know, a double-minded person is, read it this way, is restless and confused in his thoughts, his actions, his behavior. Such a person is always in conflict with himself. One torn by such inner conflict that can never lean with confidence on the, on the grace and mercy and truthfulness of God. You put it this way, it's like having two heads. Let's go right, let's go left. No right, no left. You can't move anywhere when you're just, you feel pulled different directions. So he's asking us to have a single-mindedness unto God, not serving two gods, not serving the world and God, not serving money and God, not serving, the, but there's one. There's one faith, there's one bat, there's one truth. There is one God. And therefore he's inviting us into not be double-minded and to try to play or try to ride the fence. You ever try to climb a fence and straddle it? Is it comfortable? No. You try to get off that thing as quick as possible. Depends on the kind of fence too. It's not good to straddle the fence. Saying don't straddle the fence, church. Be, either get over here and let's go or Go over here and maybe it'll look so bad you'll finally repent like the prodigal son once you find yourself eating with pigs and you say, what am I doing? And I just want you to know that is love. It is love sometimes for us to be in that place where we've turned away and it's like the love and mercy of God saying, I want you to get me. My end game is for you to get me. It's like I always say, whenever you see Jesus talking to the Pharisees, the best I can understand his tone and the language, he's, it's like tough talk. He's not like, hey, Pharisees, let me help explain this to you. Whitewashed tombs, you viper. It's like, whoa. And it's like, man, Jesus is harsh, man. He is, he is trying to get through to them, right? I love you. Guys, you got to understand there's more. It's about your heart, not about all the actions or how you wear your hair, how much you braid this or what you say or what prayers you recount. It's about your heart. And I want your heart. Do you understand? Whenever God is yelling, it's because he wants to get through to you. Right? And just like in athletics, sometimes we need someone to get in our face. Sometimes we need just a little pat on the back. It doesn't really matter. It's just about how do we get through to them. And God's interested in getting through to you and getting through 
to me. Let us be people of faith with no doubting. Lastly, then we'll wrap it up here just a minute. <clears throat> Love it says in Hebrews 11, 1, 3, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Again, just speaking into that realm of faith, it is the stuff we can't see. It is saying, God, you are good even though I don't have all the mysteries, even though I don't have all the understanding, but you are good. I put my faith and trust in you. It is by, it is by faith. It is by the grace of God. And by faith, we are saved, not by our works. Our works are evidence of our faith. We'll get into that soon here in the book of James. But it's about our faith and our posture towards him. The last few verses, James 1, 9 through 11, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a fire of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now we're not gonna dial in on poor and rich today. James speaks more to that later on. We'll dig into that another day. But I just wanna share a couple things with you. Number one, um, Maybe to kind of illustrate this way, I planted ryegrass seed. You want to know ryegrass rye grass seed? Okay, if you don't know, wow, I'm gonna help you all out. Ready? It's gonna make your yard look amazing in the winter. It's only 50 bucks. It'll be great. I like, I like having grass year-round, okay? So I don't like the dormant thing for three or four months. So as you have in November, I plant the ryegrass seed. Ryegrass is able to grow in cold climates. Okay, so that's what it is. So I go buy the ryegrass. This year I bought two bags and I was like so excited. I told Ashley it was hyped up. I spread it and I did it right before this rain. I was like, thank you, God. It was just perfect timing. So this stuff's growing and I'm like looking out of the window, like, man, it's green out there. Like, this is great. Like, this looks awesome. And it got so big, I had to go mow it. So I'm like mowing. I'm like, man, look at this. I'm like, kids, look at the grass. It's amazing play out there, right? And then that little freeze came right before Christmas. Remember that one? It's like 12 degrees, 15 out of nowhere. And I'm like, ryegrass, you got this. It's just a little cold. <laughs> and man, it like killed the stuff. I was so angry. I was like, Ugh! I started trying to rewrite the labels. Like, how, how, how cold can it get? You know, and so frustrated. You know, I was like, what happened? I guess the roots didn't go deep enough. I'm not really sure what happened. But here's what I know. As much as I got excited about my ryegrass, it was just gone after like one freeze. And I'm like, okay. And I'm just like, all right, Lord, you're trying to say something to me here. I know you are. And, you know, for me, the reality is in our life, God, guys, is that God doesn't want us to have the poverty mindset. He also doesn't want to have a, this like wealthy, rich mindset. Because a poverty mindset... Um, is going to lead you into a place of feeling defeated, feeling like I never have enough, I'm always lacking, everyone's abandoned me, I can barely survive. That's a poverty mindset. You can have that even by not being poor, right? Also not this rich mindset, because what does that do? That wealthy rich mindset means actually I don't need God. I can take care of myself. I don't need that, I can pay for that, I can do that. Right? So actually, we're not called to have either mindset. We're called, as, called to have a dependent mindset on him. God, I depend on you, my source. I depend on you for everything good. And 
I think that's what he wants us to have. It's a trust in him so that we remain humble in him. All right, I want us to stand this morning as we close our time together today. Invite the band on up. Um, you know, as, as we're diving this fast here on unity, I just, I, I really think that there's something in it and a timeliness for us to really look at these two weeks as a place of endurance and steadfastness and have a joyful attitude. I was just thinking, as I was preaching, I was like, Lord, what are we gonna do with our kids and how are we gonna make this space fun for them? And I'm like, okay, there's gonna be extra space. When you take away the media stuff, there's extra space for us to play that board game that we wanted to play over Christmas, but we didn't. Um, there's extra space to be going on a walk with the family. Let's just go walk. We're just gonna talk. There's extra space for, um, for me to sit down and just soak up the word again. There's extra space maybe over a meal if you're fasting food or maybe you decide I'm gonna fast lunch every day during this fast or there's all sorts of ways you can do it but maybe say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast lunch during this fast every, every meal and, and maybe it's just extra space. Just say, God, I just wanna, can I just go on a walk with you and just talk? Just, I'm gonna go on a walk with God. I, I don't know what it's gonna look like but what I believe is going to happen is if we will collectively jump into this, I know some of you hearing about this for the first time, you're like trying to get everything, okay, how are we gonna do this? I'm inviting you into this because I think it's going to benefit you and it's gonna benefit us. And, and, but it'll only do that if we go into it saying, Lord, I need you to sustain me. Like God, everything I'm doing, I don't want it to just be about just willpower. That's not what James is saying. By your own self, by your own might, your own willpower, just kind of push through. He's saying, lean in on him. Lean in. Like when actually your stomach gets grumbly, you're like, God, fill my stomach. Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, help me to focus on what is true, what is right, what is good. When you're feeling that ish to do the social media or to stream the show, it's like, God, help me to fill that space with something else. Maybe I need to call my dad and talk to him for a while. Maybe I need to sit on my spouse, roommates. Maybe we need to play a game together. Maybe, who knows? God, help me to use that space in another way than just entertaining my mind, <laughs> right? What, whatever it is, there's something for us, but we have to, when we are put to the test, and I would even say, even in this two-week fast, we were put to the test. It's gonna be challenging. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but it's gonna produce endurance. It's gonna produce a steadfast. It's gonna produce a confidence. It's gonna produce a fruit that maybe you weren't even aware of as a result. So I just wanna take time to close this morning. Just gonna have us stay where we are because we're all in this still together. Just wanted to close our eyes and just take a moment and just ask God to speak. Say, God, would you speak to each of our hearts? He may speak to you in a, you know, in a picture, remind you of a scripture, or just give you a sense or in a, in like an intuition, a feeling about something. God knows how to speak your language, but just invite him in. God, just speak to my heart about What's important to you during this fast? That's what I want us to ask him. God, what's important to you during this fast? And then God, how can I partner with you in that? Because that's really what it's about. It's a fast unto the Lord. It's not unto ourselves. It's unto him. It's a form of worship. It's a way to surrender. It's a way to consecrate. It's a way to 
get low, to, to walk humbly. God, what matters to you? And how can I partner with that? Just give a moment. Let him just speak to our hearts. So, Lord, we trust you. And we, we just acknowledge that we can't, we can't live this life full of joy or hope without you. Holy Spirit, we are inviting you. We need you to guide us and lead us in all truth. We need your help. We need our hope tanks restored. We need the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We need to be to face those tests and challenges that are gonna come at us that are already present and to take them on and say, God, with you, everything is possible. God, help us to find the fortitude, the emotional grit, the, to help us to go to the deeper places so that when we are faced with the challenges, we will not sink when you ask us to walk across the water because we won't doubt but we'll just keep our eyes fixed on you and not worry about everything else that's what we want we thank you Jesus and just pray for everyone you're speaking to God just pray would you affirm it confirm it would you encourage us and let this be an incredible two weeks in this church family let it be a credible two weeks individually <laughs> where we are forever changed. Where there's things that happen two weeks from now, we look back and say, wow, I had no idea what God was gonna do. Thank you, Lord. You matured us as a people to having a greater unity under you. We thank you, Jesus.